Welcome back to the first episode of season two. This season, we thought we'd start out the same way we started last season, hanging out with Will Cosgrove. As well as being our local Bitcoin expert, Will has been a software developer for over a decade and a very successful one at that. Will started coding in high school and has built a full-time business being a freelance web developer. This week, he'll tell us all about how he got started in one of the careers of the future and how easy it is for you to do it yourself. Welcome back, everyone. We have, for the first time, a recurring guest. So everyone, welcome back, Will Cosgrove. Will, how are you doing? Doing well. How about y'all? Doing great. So you've had a, a pretty big life event since last time you were on, haven't you? Yes, I have. Uh, my daughter was born, second child, and she is healthy. Mom's healthy. Yeah, it's been awesome. That's great. Congratulations. How's Graham taking the news? You know, he was pretty shocked about it, but <laughs> no, he's he's been doing great. Yeah, he's he really enjoys playing with her and a little bit too rough. You know, he doesn't really get being gentle. He always goes right for the eyes, uh, <laughs> which is a little concerning, but I think he'll, you know, he'll grow out of that. Cool. Well, well, you know, we've brought you on to talk about software development. How long have you been doing software development? So... Professionally, I started in 2012, but I started as a hobby in high school. So I would guess probably around 2009, 2010. Gotcha. And then how would you describe just like real quick software development? If someone's like, hey, isn't that, you know, just playing with computers? What would you say? I would say at its core, it's about problem solving, solving your problems or other people's problems through the use of technology. Cool. So there are like hundreds of coding languages, right? Yeah, there's too many to count and they're always inventing more of them. So when you, I mean, when you started, like what how did you decide what language to learn? How did you decide what you can use? What did you settle on using and why did you pick that? Yeah, so it was a really intense process. I was, like I said, in high school and I Googled best programming language to learn for kids. And it was like, you should learn Ruby. So that's how I picked. And I started learning Ruby and I was immediately drawn to it just because the language like looks pretty different from like, I don't know what what you might think a programming language looks like. A lot of people, when they just imagine code, they come up with something that looks like uh, C or C++ or possibly Java, uh, which is mostly just because those, for whatever reason, look like code to people. And so anytime you see code in like a movie or, or you know TV show, that's typically what they grab. And it, it's kind of a self-perpetuating idea but ruby it just looks a lot cleaner there's a lot less brackets and and syntax and so i was sort of first drawn to it just because it was yeah presented that way as something that was like you can write ruby code that you can read in english and have a basic idea of what it's doing which i thought was really powerful and so i got started learning that and yeah it it ended up being a extremely valuable 
language to learn because there ended up being a major web framework built in Ruby called Rails, Ruby on Rails, the full name. And I guess that came out probably about the same time that I first started learning Ruby, but it wasn't on my radar at that point. I think it came out in like 2009. And so Ruby on Rails, I eventually started learning about my junior or senior year in high school. And that became my full-time job. So most of what I've done uh, is in Ruby on Rails. If you could go back again and do it all over, do you think you'd still start with Ruby? Yeah, I think so. It's I've used, at this point, a handful of different languages, and Ruby is the most enjoyable to use, to, to my taste. It's got a lot of like depth to learn. So like you can get started easily and like understand what's going on, but then there's just a very deep pool of information that you can fall into. So you don't feel like, oh, I learned this and now it, it's no longer interesting to me. There, there's a lot more to learn. So I've been programming in it for like probably 10 years now, and I'm confident that there's still things about Ruby that I don't know, but I, I enjoy learning. So that is a positive to me, not a negative. I think the next question there is, you know, you Googled what should I learn and you found Ruby. How did you then say, okay, now I'm going to learn Ruby. Where did you go to find the the way to do it and start putting code together? Yeah. So there was, I, I ended up finding like a book written by this anonymous person on the internet called Why. Why the Lucky Stiff was his full name. And he was very prominent in the Ruby community and probably starting in 2007, maybe before that. I don't know the history too much before when I got in, but he he made a lot of, they're called gems in Ruby, but the generic term would just be library, which is just like prepackaged code for, for doing a certain task. So he made a lot of Ruby gems that were widely used. And he also did lots of documentation work and wrote this book, which was, I guess it wasn't necessarily geared towards kids, but it wasn't a programming tutorial book like you might normally think. Like it had artwork in it. It almost seemed like comic book-like. And yeah, so that was what I initially found when I was trying to learn Ruby was this book. And it's still available. It's called Wise Poignant Guide to Ruby. And it's definitely a meandering tutorial for Ruby. It's not like... Like if you're already a software developer or you know other programming languages, jumping in there is going to feel a little bit too slow. But for where I was at the time, someone who, like I had tinkered with making websites with HTML. So I was like familiar with the computer and, you know, doing some programming adjacent tasks, but had never really learned a language before. It was a good starting point for me, but... There's tons of resources now and resources geared towards all different kinds of people, you know, people who already know other languages or have never programmed before. And they're all pretty easy to find thanks to wonderful Google. Gotcha. So, so you said that, you know, people who have already coded before, it'd be too slow for them. Is there a pretty easy transition to once you start software developing, switching from language to language? 
I would say so. A lot of the core concepts of programming are shared between languages, not too dissimilarly from how when you start learning other foreign languages, you know, you've still got parts of speech, you've still got like conjugation. I can't go too far in this analogy because I was terrible (laughs) in high school, but yeah, so it's similar to that. You've got like basic data structures and you usually see those same data structures show up in other languages and they often behave and function very similarly. That is, that's not to say that anyone could easily pick up any programming languages. There are certainly languages that break all of the norms of other programming languages, usually for some perceived benefit, which I'm sure there is a benefit to it, but usually, yeah, they're, they're specifically focused on a certain kind of problem. And so they, they say, okay, we're not going to do things like other languages. We're going to be very different. And so learning languages like that is usually a bit challenging because you, you build these mental models about how things work and then you shift to a language that doesn't have any of those base assumptions. And it's like, you're starting from scratch a little bit, but I would say that that's the exception rather than the rule on the whole most languages follow pretty similar ideas. And so your work investing in one can carry over to another pretty easily. So before we get too far into you talking about the specifics of coding, I want to kind of go back and have you tell everybody who's listening kind of about your professional path and how you, because I feel like you're a great example of you know, we say turning hobbies into careers, and that's exactly what you did. You wanted to learn this in high school just because you were interested, and now you're doing it professionally. And And I feel like the path that you followed could be a great example for a lot of people of focusing on a hobby, if that makes sense. So yeah. could you tell us a little bit about how you went from a kid learning Ruby in high school to full-time freelance right now? Yeah, definitely. It Looking back on it, it is a weird path. It didn't feel weird as I was living it. But looking back on it, it's definitely a little strange. So yeah, I got into it in high school just because I was interested in it. So my my first programming task was for my church. We had a summer youth event. Y'all will know what this is because y'all went to church with me, a stampede. And funnily enough, so my, my mom is also a software developer and she had written some software for helping the check-in process at Stampede. She wrote it. Before I was really tuned into anything software development, so I I didn't, I sort of learned it after the fact, but she had some software. It wasn't anything super uh, fancy. It was just taking a spreadsheet and merging like four different spreadsheets from like their four different checkout stations into one database that could be searched uh, so that they could, you know, like if a kid gets injured, they can you know, get his name or his phone number or something and look up and see, you know, contact info for his parents real quick. And as a student that went through Stampede, there was a pain point of mine, which was I always joined the green team. There were four teams, red, blue, yellow, and green. And uh, blue or red always won every year and green and yellow sort of got the short end of the stick. And it was primarily because so many kids wanted to be on blue and red they would come dressed up as blue and red the first night and they'd get put on the blue and red team 
And uh, throughout the week, you, you know, play games, do stuff, earn points. But the more people you had on your team, the more points you could accrue. And so just because of the imbalance in the teams, it was hard for green or yellow to ever win. And I was a lifelong green team member. And so I thought this isn't right. Someone should do something. So when I started interning up at the church, I didn't have very much to do. I edited the weekly announcement videos, which took, you know, about an hour, but I had 10 hours a week up there. So I would spend the rest of my time working on an app for Stampede registration. And my primary goal for it was just really to evenly sort the teams. So taking the job of picking who goes on which team out of the hands of people and into the hands of a algorithm that would not care what you were wearing when you walked up. It would just tell you you're on the blue team or the red team or the green team. And so, yeah, I built that. We used it for a couple of years. I don't remember the outcome if it ever yielded a green team victory. But that was like <laughs> my first first bit of software I ever developed. It was, yeah, the church was very kind in letting me use it because I'm sure <laughs> that they could have done any number of other things than let a student write some software for it. But they did, and I thank them for it because it encouraged me to to learn it. And the next path, the next step, I should say, was a, a weird one. I got contacted, I think, from the website Quora, the like question answering social network. I've heard some people call it Quora. I don't know. I always assumed it was Quora. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think it's Quora. So I got contacted by someone because I answered a question on there about Ruby on Rails. Someone like direct messaged me. They're like, hey, I've got a, an app idea. Like I was wondering if you'd be interested in, in doing some work for me. And I'm, I'm, I think like a senior in high school at this time. And so I started emailing him back, found out he was also a senior in high school. We were both kids and he had this app idea called cherry card. I was not involved in the naming, uh, <laughs> but it was a, like a, a way for stores or retail outlets to donate to charity by buying like these cherry cards that they would give out to their, the people that shopped in their stores and they could take the cherry card, go onto the website, type in like the code and pick where money got donated to. So each cherry card was worth like a quarter or a dollar or something like that. And uh, you get to pick where the money goes. So essentially it's a way for stores to be able to donate money to the the nonprofits that their patrons want it to go to. And so the guy I was working with, his name was uh, Noah. He was sort of well set up to do this. He had lots of connections in his, his town. He lived in Studio City, California. And so I worked with him on this app, getting it ready. And he worked on the, what I would call the hard part, which was going like and getting recruiting businesses to get on board with this. And so we, we ended up launching, we had like a small little write-up in the New York Times, which I think was primarily because his mom was a publicist. <laughs> All the stars aligned for this thing to like actually have some notoriety, although very small. We launched with like, I don't know, like five stores and yeah, it very quickly went nowhere, but it was 
It was my first project. I got paid a little bit of money. My name appeared in the New York Times. And that directly led to the next thing, which was I was going to A&M. I, was, I had applied and gotten into A&M. So I was going to be going there in the next fall semester. And there was a professor there who ended up seeing that New York Times article and saw it referenced that I was going to A&M. And so he actually reached out to me to talk to me. And through meeting with him, he connected me with another student there who was working on a business idea. And so put me in touch with him. And I started doing some software development for him while I was at school. And yeah, while I was there, I I just wasn't very happy at at A&M. I didn't really enjoy the work. I didn't enjoy the classes. I I was very passionate about learning, but really only about what I wanted to learn, not what anyone else wanted to teach me. So I, I think I would have been all in if it was just computer science classes, but taking chemistry, Texas history, I had one class on like how to take classes, <laughs> very meta, but it didn't help me. Yeah, I just wasn't enjoying it. And I was doing software development, which I was enjoying. And I was making a little bit of money from it. And so it sort of planted the seed of trying to figure out if it would be possible to do this as a career path without a degree. And so I started messaging businesses that were in Rails development, like agencies that did that for for clients. And the answer that I got back was basically, as long as you are able to do the work, there's not much care or concern about what degree you have or where it's from. And so I took that as all the confirmation I needed to go ahead and drop out and start doing software development full time. So I, I didn't have much of a plan looking back on it. It was really not that wise, but I did it. And the guy who I was doing work for that I had met at A&M uh, was not a good fit. I was not enjoying working with, with him specifically. And so I knew that like working for him was not going to be a long-term solution to having work. And as fate would have it, I ended up getting contacted out of the blue from another post that I had made online, this time on a website called Railscast, which was like a tutorial website. And I had made a comment answering someone's question. And this guy who owned a, a remote web agency contacted me and said, hey, we're looking for a Rails developer would you consider applying? And he sent me that like three weeks after I dropped out of school. And I was like, I'll, I'll apply. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I contacted him and met with him and yeah, took a technical interview and I suppose I passed that. I, I think possibly the other thing that I had going for me was because I was very young, I was still 19 at the time. I didn't really have a concept of like, how much money it took to live. And so I didn't really know what to ask for in terms of compensation. You know, my work, I had worked for Noah doing cherry card in high school. I, I don't know how many hours, a lot. And I got paid $500 total for it, which at the time was like, no one's ever paid me $500 before. <laughs> like, it's amazing. But I hadn't really extrapolated, like, I can't just get paid $500 and live doing that, you know, that's something you can really only get away with 
when your parents are still paying for everything. So the salary that I ended up asking for was while unbelievably exciting and generous from my point of view was not that high in the programming environment, you know, software development career path. So I may have gotten the job just because I was the cheapest person that they could hire. I don't know. But yeah, so that agency was called Uptrending and I worked for them for like four or five years. I can't remember exactly. And then I moved to another agency that was local-ish. They were based out of Dallas. Uh, I still worked remotely for them called OvenBits. And OvenBits had a big downsizing like a year after I joined where basically everyone but the founders ended up needing to get laid off. And so after that, I became an independent software developer just doing freelance work. And yeah, so I've been doing that for like three and a half years now, which is crazy. doesn't feel like I've been doing it for that long. So yeah, that was like 30 minutes of me talking, but that is my career path up until today. Well, I think, I mean, your story is really cool because I know at least you were the first person I ever like personally knew who was like, I don't really need a college degree. I'm just going to do it. And I thought that was like the craziest thing at the time. I was like, that's amazing that you can just get a job with skills. Yeah. Which, what, know, a, what a concept. In hindsight, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Like, hey, you don't really need a college degree. You just need to be able to do the job. But I think what also is like that, that you didn't really mention is, you know, Hayden and I came to you a couple of years ago with like a, hey, can we build this website? And amongst a few obstacles, one of the biggest ones is like, you know, I'm doing freelance work and I just don't have time. Like I'm so busy with all the work I'm doing already, which is just a testament to your skill level. You were basically booked all the way through just because you were good at what you do just from practice and just from working on it and just experience, which is awesome. Yeah, I've been, as a, a freelance software developer, I've been extremely fortunate to stay pretty solidly booked, which is good because I'm not a salesman. If it were up to me to go find clients and like sell them, I would be not in this job for very long. <laughs> so yeah, my network of like, Previous coworkers has been huge in helping me find work. I know a good number of other freelance software developers, and oftentimes someone will ask, you know, one of us, "Hey, do you have time to do this?" And we'll say, "No, we're we're booked." But I know someone who's good who may have availability, and so uh, a lot of time work just gets passed around in between us that way, sort of through referrals like that. And then I've also kept pretty busy with past clients from the other agencies that I worked at. So my, um, the very first client that I ever worked for at Uptrending, my first job is still like one of my main clients today. So I, I've been doing work for them for as long as I have been working, which is pretty cool. I, I enjoy working for them. And what, what coding language do you primarily use now with, with this work? Or do you cycle between a couple? Yeah, still primarily Ruby, but I would say in the past five years or so, I've been doing more with JavaScript than I was before. So building web applications is a, a little strange. So some people may be familiar with like making a basic website where like the building blocks of that are HTML, 
CSS and JavaScript. And you can write HTML and CSS and JavaScript and open it up in a browser and see your work right in front of you. And I, I am building uh, web applications, which are written in Ruby. And essentially what that means is just, I'm writing a Ruby program that's output is HTML, CSS, and JavaScript for browsers to display. So it's like one step of abstraction above writing it yourself, writing the HTML and everything yourself, writing a program that writes that stuff. So I had always been writing JavaScript since before I had picked up Ruby just as part of like building a, a website. The JavaScript is sort of like the interactive component of uh, a website and these sorts of lines always change. But like, if you think of going to a website and there's like a carousel, like an image carousel where like there's a big picture and then it like slides to the left and there's another picture that is something that in the past would have been like something that you do with JavaScript. So things like that, you know, just these little building blocks and making a website, you learn JavaScript doing that. And so that was sort of what it always was for me was just like these little flourishes that you'd put on a website and everything really changed after Chrome came along and made a really, really fast portable JavaScript engine. So JavaScript can now be used outside of the context of a web browser and node came along, which is a, an engine for running JavaScript that hooks into like uh, the file system, the operating system APIs. Um, sorry, I'm, just realized I've t taken a significant uh, leap in, in terms of terminology here, but I'll, I'll try and summarize it like this. So JavaScript before, when I had first learned it, was really something that you just use in a web browser. And it has now gotten legs and can be run all over the place. And so its usefulness has gone up significantly. So like you can write mobile applications now with just JavaScript which is something that you could not do before. So the usefulness of JavaScript has grown. And as such, I've been using it more and more for things, primarily for native applications. So Ruby, JavaScript, those are my two, two main things that I use in my day-to-day -day work. Sorry, that was the longest way possible to answer that question. You're good. It means we have to ask fewer questions, so keep up the good work. Well, cool. On that, if you were to like talk about one of your favorite pieces of software you've designed? Do you have like a favorite? What did it do? I don't know. So, okay. One of just like a fun project that I did that I'm just now recalling was another thing I did during high school. I, the youth group that I went to had uh, this like yearly dance called the thrift store. A prom. <laughs> I remember this. This is a good story. They, they had an online voting system for who was going to be the king and queen, which was a mistake. And uh, I was a senior that year. And so... Did, did Bodie McBoatface win? Uh, I don't think so. I, I don't know how my name got on the ballot. It's not the sort of thing I would normally be on a ballot for. But it was... And uh, since I could write a program that would vote for me a couple million times, I decided, why not? So I wrote a, this little thing 
it voted for me. I think it was several million times before the contest expired. And I figured it would just be a joke because I wasn't going to win normally. And, and and we don't have millions of people in the youth group. Right. Yeah. It would be pretty obvious that there was something uh, amiss. And I figured they would just, you know, disqualify me and take whoever got second place to that. But the polling software that they used was, it didn't tell you how many votes were cast. It just gave you the percentage. <laughs> And it rounded the number. So everyone else was zero and I was 100%. So they couldn't figure out who second place was. So they gave it to me, I think, because they knew that I wouldn't want it. And so that was the best punishment for me <laughs> to make me have to be thrift store prom king. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was, and I think stuff like that is sort of why I was drawn to software development in general was it was like this feeling that like if i can control a computer i can sort of have superpowers and and you know get away with stuff like this and so that yeah i feel like that's a good story to illustrate i don't know what as a kid at least what might draw you to it as an adult i think probably just the desire to problem solve would be the main thing drawing you to it you know, I can't say for sure. I don't exactly remember, but if I had to guess who got you on the ballot, it was probably me and Hayden. Woo. That seems plausible. That we were like, hey, do you know who should be on the ballot? Will. <laughs> <laughs> We've been big supporters of you for a long time. I'm sure you're familiar. <laughs> hey, Will's already our king. Why not just make him everyone's king? <laughs> That's why I'm the second person back. Yes, the first first guest and first recurring guest. It seemed pretty obvious to us when we started a podcast. Hey, since you came on and talked about Bitcoin, Bitcoin's gone up like 2000 bucks. So obviously, when you come on, good things happen. I know at the beginning when we were talking about life events, I really expected that to be the one Will referenced. <laughs> yeah, I like to think that I'm really quick on my feet with jokes, but you know the risk was too high. This is being recorded for all of eternity for people to listen to. So I decided to just play it straight. So I feel like being a software developer is like the epitome of one of those things that everybody asks you about it all the time because it's such an interesting career considering how much it's changed even in our lifetime. Yeah. I don't know about our average listener, but for us, computers were like coming into regularity when we were in our, you know, early teens. So this this entire profession essentially was created within the last 20 or so years. And it, I think that just fascinates people as a result. Every, you know, virtually every other job out there has existed longer. Yeah. And as a result, people just quiz you constantly. And I know I'm definitely one of those people. And this very long rambling question is all to say, how often do people come to you with their wonderful business ideas, <laughs> expecting you to bring it to fruition for them? Yeah. So when people ask me what I do and I, I tell them software developer, it's hard to, you know, most people don't have a good sense of what precisely that means. Usually as soon as the word app leaves my mouth, then they're like, oh, you make apps. Well, not exactly, but I can, but I don't usually. Then that's when they tell me their app idea. <laughs> so I'm flattered. Uh, that people w would share uh, their million-dollar ideas with me. Um, 
Not without signing a non-disclosure first, right? Yeah. They do that, then I'm mad. When you guys made me do that. (laughs) Well, Uh, it didn't go anywhere, so... We had big plans, Will. I don't know if you knew. It was a good idea. It was a good idea. Unfortunately, COVID would have killed it. What's the worst idea somebody has presented you with seriously? Oh, oh. This was so long ago, I can't really pull up too many details in my brain from it, but someone had an idea for an app they said it would just be like a mirror. And I was like, what? <laughs> so it's like a mirror, like so you can see yourself. And I was like, this was before the front facing camera. And I was like, how would it work? And they're like, just like make the screen black so you can. Like... <laughs> I thought that they were just like joking, but they were serious. They like kept talking to me about it. I was like, that'll never work. You know, they can just lock their phone. Why do they have to buy your app? Yeah. So that was, that was the most bizarre app idea I've ever heard. <laughs> but, you know, maybe he was a genius because not too long after that, they came out with the front facing camera, which, you know, that's basically a mirror. So what you should have done is said, OK, great, I'll build that for you. It's going to cost you twelve hundred bucks. And then just an app that when you open it, the screen is black. <laughs> yeah. But it can't just be black because if there's an actual light, then it's less reflective. It just locks your phone. Yeah. <laughs> an app that locks your phone. Yeah, I could have just reached across the desk and I'm like, done. Ta-da, it's Samir. <laughs> Very bizarre. I also think that so many of those like ideas that people have, especially apps, if Apple likes it, they'll just like start putting it on phones for free and your entire business is ruined forever. Yeah. Like, just think somewhere out there invented the flashlight app, and that was downloaded by absolutely everybody when iPhones first came around. And then Apple's yeah. like, cool, we'll just like, we'll just add that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a terminology for it specifically for when Apple does that to your business, and it's called getting Sherlocked. And it comes from an app that was called Sherlock that did what Spotlight does for Mac today. So, if you're a Mac user, you hit command space, it pulls up spotlight, which is like a little text box that just goes over everything that lets you search your whole computer, you know, to like launch apps or find files. And yeah, they Sherlock came out. It was very popular. And like the next operating system version, they're like now introducing spotlight. So Apple does that. They continue to do that. And it it's called getting Sherlocked. <laughs> so it happens so often there's a name for it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've watched Apple do it. I've gone and uninstalled these apps that I used to have that, you know, Apple then added by default and I had to get rid of my flashlight app or... Or like the emoji app. Yeah. They're, they have the best position to be able to implement any kind of feature because they have total control over the device. Yeah. So like, like the flashlight, the they have built into the app or into the phone is better than any of the flashlight apps that were there. Cause they can, you know, make it so that your light stays on when the phone is locked and, you know, stuff like that, that other app developers, they just don't have the ability to do things like that. Cause Apple puts limitations on like what apps can do, but they don't have to adhere to those limitations themselves because Apple draws the boundaries. Okay, so I think like we're we're getting into the time where our listeners have heard your story 
And I think it's a pretty compelling story about, you know, taking your hobby of coding and software development and turning it into a career. If they wanted to follow in that, where would you recommend they start? I, I think that Ruby is still a very good career option as, as like a first language to learn. It still is very widely used. JavaScript, you also can't go wrong learning. It's sort of exploded in the past five years. Yeah, it it does depend a bit on what your goal is, like in terms of where you want to land in the industry. Because like you alluded to earlier, software development sort of covers a, a really, really wide spectrum of anything that can be developed for the computer. So that ranges from like making video games to making websites to making spreadsheet applications to building databases. So you can sort of go all over the place. And in each of those little subcategories, there are like preferred languages and tools that get used already. So if you're targeting like a specific subcategory, then it would definitely benefit you to learn the languages uh, that are used there. So like for video game development, uh, you couldn't go wrong learning C. Yeah, C, C++. Uh, that's what a lot of games are written in. Picking up Unity, which is a game development engine, would be another great place to start for video games in particular, obviously. For if you were interested in like statistics or data science, then you'd probably be looking at something like Python or R. Both of those are pretty widely used in like the the more mathematical avenues uh, of software development. And then web, Python also gets used a lot for web. Ruby gets used a lot for web. PHP is only used for web. And JavaScript gets used a lot in web development. See, I'd say if you have an idea of like what path you want to go down, then figure out what what is commonly used for that particular part of the industry and learn that. And software development is maybe one of the most learnable things at home because it's all available online. You can pretty much find resources for learning anything from scratch online. So the hardest part is just learning what to search for. Uh, you know, when you're brand new to something, you don't know what you don't know. And so you don't know what to ask for. Uh, and so when you're you're at Google trying to figure out like, okay, what do I search for? Oftentimes just getting over that initial hurdle is the hardest one, but it is all out there and free for the learning. And on that note, do you have any recommendations on how to how to get started once they've picked a language? What to Google essentially? Yeah. I would say look for tutorials that are geared towards what you want to do. So like there, there's a ton of tutorials out there for like building a game from start to finish, simple game, obviously, but, or building a website from start to finish guides like that exist on the internet for just about any kind of programming task. And so walking through with someone else, you know, at the other person being the author of the guide to like, see what, what is involved in, you know, making a game or making a website, following along with what they're doing, recreating it on your computer. All of that is uh, great. 
you know, first step to take and just doing it for yourself will give you a little bit of experience and an understanding of, you know, if you did something, you're like, I don't know why I had to do that. That would be a great thing to, you know, search for and learn and understand. It, it's also when you're learning software development, there's like so many things that you don't know when you get started and it would be overwhelming to try to understand all of it immediately. So there are things that you sort of just take for granted at the beginning that you're like, okay, I don't know what an array is or how it works, but this guide says I can do this and it will do that. And that's good enough for me right now. And so I think it's, it's good and correct for you to sort of skip over stuff that you don't understand. You sort of, at least in my case, I found you are always getting away with knowing as little as you have to, to get the job done. And when you get stuck on something, that's when you start, start learning something new to get over whatever hump you're stuck on. I have another question that might be like either really dumb or like too big of a question to answer. And I have no idea which one it is. So I, I took a computer science class in high school and like, we did Java and I don't know, I can't remember. Basically, I just know like the few little things, print line, whatever. But I was looking in later of like, okay, so if I wanted to do this again, you know, I don't even know where I could start typing code out to make a run, make it run a program. Yeah. And so like, if I wanted to code, where could I even start doing that? That is a great question. So it, it depends is the, the thing that makes this question difficult. Every programming language is different. So with Ruby, you can actually try in your browser on a website. There's a website called tryruby.org. And that just gives you a little interactive Ruby console in your browser with a little tutorial walking you through, like running some basic commands and, and seeing how that works. So you can actually just try it straight in the browser without having to install anything. For most programming languages, you would need to install the language onto your computer and then you would write the code on your computer, usually using some software called a text editor, which is different from like a word processor, like Microsoft Word or Pages. A text editor is a lot more basic of a program. You're just editing like text uh, not so you're not doing like page layout or anything like that like you have in a word processor and then the steps to running that vary depending on the language that you're using ruby is an interpreted language sorry <laughs> hey you're a new dad everybody has to be understanding hey you're not a new dad you're a you're a second time new dad dad 2.0 yeah that's right it's a uh, a little bit of a catch 22 you know the more you're trying to get them to be quiet, the more likely you are to just like work them up. So the more dire the situation to keep them quiet, <laughs> it's like, you can't show it. You've got to just like, it doesn't matter that we're in the middle of a funeral. Just <laughs> calmly explain to them. Okay. I think, I think it's done. So Ruby is an interpreted language, which just means that there's a program called Ruby that, takes the code that you wrote and it runs it and executes it. Whereas like uh, C 
or Java, well, Java is a little bit different, C uh, is a compiled language, which means that there's a program called a compiler and it takes your code, compiles it, and then outputs another program that you run that is the result of running your code. So Ruby does not get compiled. You've got an interpreter that runs, that reads the Ruby code and does stuff and C is compiled. So it reads your code, spits out another program that you then run later. So all that to say the, the ins and outs of actually writing code on your own computer and running it vary from language to language. Lots of modern languages now have some way for you to try out writing code in that language without having to download and set up your computer for it. Usually something you could do in the browser. And so that's a good way to just like get a quick feel for like what, you know, what does a programming language look like? What is it like to work with? But if you're, if you're serious about really getting into it, then going through the process of downloading and installing it on your own computer is definitely the way to go. Do you think that the creation of these sort of browser coding programs makes it easier for people to get into programming from a hardware perspective. You don't need some big expensive computer to get started. It definitely shortens the time to like to get to experience a language for the first time. But as far as like hardware requirements, I would say no, because generally, even though you're running those things in the browser, not in all cases, but in most cases, I think that that code is actually executing on your computer still. So it's not like sending off your code to a server that's doing it and coming back. So it's still your computer that's doing the work uh, of running the language. Um, sorry. <laughs> it's funny. I've got my AirPods in, which are noise canceling, so I can barely hear them, but I know... Maybe this is just what we need is a crunch out in the background to tell us it's time to wrap it up. Okay, cool. Then I'll just pick back up. Yeah, it's a bit of a common misconception that to do software development, you need like a big expensive computer. And that could be true for certain types of software development tasks. If you're doing like artificial intelligence with neural networks, those require big graphics cards. Or if you're doing like uh, game development where you're, you know, building really rich 3d games that are graphics intensive. That is something that you need a big computer for, but for the most part, like doing web development or doing even app development, you really don't need that powerful of a computer. So it, it is not a very compute intensive task. So do you think the average person's computer could run it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because the average person's computer is like way better than the computer that I was using in high school when I first started. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's about all time we have. Uh, what I love about this is, well, I think y you have told why it's really great to get into software development and have given the first steps, but it's really cool that I think this is a really good example of people can just take this and run with it and, and kind of have unlimited options of where they can go. Uh, so I think that's really cool that, that this, the opportunity you've given today. Yeah, I, I think it's a very exciting thing to get into because, yeah, the possibilities really 
are limitless. You can take it in any different direction. And it's one of the few things like it that you can truly learn and pick up on your own with free resources. There's, yeah, there's definitely not too many other things like that. So yeah, I think it's special. I always encourage everybody to get into it. I don't know that anyone has, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're just so good. It's too intimidating for the rest of us. (laughs) Whatever. Any last uh, tips that you have for somebody? Always. No. Never. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I don't know. Yeah, Google is your friend, or I keep saying Google. Any internet search is your friend. Do people use ones besides Google? DuckDuckGo is uh, a big big one among the privacy aware people. (laughs) Bing is what is used by people who like pretty pictures in the background. (laughs) Uh, Or people who don't know how to change the default browser. (laughs) That is also both those people. Yeah, there's a ton of resources out there for free. You just have to go look for them. I think that's my big takeaway. All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk us through this, Will. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, We'll include your email in the description for everybody to contact you with their million-dollar ideas. Great. I look forward to making a million dollars with each and every one of you. (laughs) Or you can just go to willcrossgroove.com. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions any suggestions for future episodes or would like to be an expert on our show, please email us at 101guidetolife at gmail.com or send us a voice recording through Anchor.